0: Tennis is one of the most popular sports around the world and there are plenty of people out there betting on it. This podcast gives you an edge over the market thanks to in-depth analysis from our expert guests. Welcome to Advantage Betters. It's time for the last major event of the tennis season, with the start of the ATP finals fast approaching. What is normally labelled the fifth slam in the tennis calendar is, of course, the fourth slam in 2020. Um, The odds are now live. It's time to sit down with our two tennis experts and see where the value might be. Welcome to Dan Weston. How are you, Dan?
1: Yeah, I'm good, Ben. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm very good. I'm good. And Drew Dinsic, aka Whale Capper. How's it going?
2: Oh, it's going so well. Thanks for having us again. And I uh, can't wait to talk to you guys.
0: Yeah, I'm 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 really looking forward to it. The the ATP is a nice kind of curtain closer on the year. Um we've missed out on one slam this year already, so so hopefully we can make up for that as well. Um where we'll start off is we we did a pod for the the French Open and we spoke quite a bit about um tennis during COVID and what's happened with it being behind closed doors, the the extended break that the players had and, and all that, that came in between. Let's look at that a little bit more now. I mean, the last time we spoke about it, it was it was all pretty new. We'd just finished the US Open, heading into the French. There was only a handful of events, really, to analyse. Um, we've obviously increased that sample size and seen a lot more action. So when you look at things now, is there any major differences that that you might look at for an event or or an individual match, say... If it was 12 months ago compared to to now, um, Drew, I'll go to you first. So
2: I was surprised at the lack of really any meaningful handicapping angles for this in Roland Garros specifically. Um, I thought that that tournament really went went off pretty much without a hitch. Uh, the fact that they had even fans in attendance for some of it, and you know the fact that you know obviously things in Europe aren't going particularly you know favorably uh, as we head into winter. Um, you know, I credit to them for, for getting these tournaments off. Even, you know, this, this, um, this most recent indoor tournament in, in Paris was well run. Everybody seems to be, um, you know, kind of you know, doing the right thing, so to speak. Uh, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they effectively have, um, you know, been able to run these tournaments and they haven't just packed it in for the year. Um, I'm interested a little bit uh, in terms of how some players' incentives changed. As we came down the home stretch, um, because of the compressed schedule, because of uh, the uncertainty that they're going to get events off in uh, in Australia before the Australian Open, uh, it, it, it incentivized and prioritized some players to to try to uh, accrue point ranking points, um, you know, get their seating uh, situated for the Australian Open now, uh, rather than you know hope to uh, to do anything meaningful from a, a ranking or, a, you know, a gamesmanship standpoint in 2021. Uh, because I think, you know, as you look up and down the rankings, uh, we are locked in pretty clearly, uh, especially among the top players. Um, and I think you saw, you know, for instance, someone like, you know, Djokovic, like his last loss to uh 6-2, 6-1. Uh, six, six, that was uh, that was pretty clearly, in my opinion, him sort of waving the white flag on the 2020 season. You know, I've got enough points now to to lock up a number one for Australia. I can you know call it a year. Um, you know, and I think some of that is is specifically reflecting uh, you know the lack of ability of other players to accrue points, and you know, and and uh, position themselves for, you know, for the, for the future going forward. Um, but, uh, there are certainly some players in the top 10 in the mix, uh, who it was very important for them to, uh, to make it far, for instance, at the Paris masters. And, uh, that may be just, you know, Hey, they're trying to make up, uh, some, uh, you know, some lost prize revenue from this year and, and, or trying to make up some points, and you know that was really the only meaningful handicapping angle I got out of any of it. Uh, otherwise, I thought everybody pretty much adjusted on the fly and acted like professionals, and I you know tipped my hat to them.
0: And what about yourself, Dan? Is there any kind of noticeable changes or shifts that you have in in the action that you've watched?
1: Well, I was quite surprised to join the fact that I think particularly in Paris last week there wasn't really an abundance of mistakes. I don't think in the market the the market was very similar to the model in. The overwhelming majority of the cases, so I think that the well, the market's handicapping everything pretty well. Um, before Paris and French um, Open, I looked at the angles more of looking at clay court specialists and um, young players, and that served me pretty well in the women's, in particular. Um, obviously, we had uh, that, that that dynamic end up winning the tournament with Igor Swiatek, yeah. You know, demolishing the field, basically. A uh, young player who's, who's very, very good on clay. Um, and we've seen a few young players sort of getting, not necessarily really breaking through, but getting to the, the sort of last 16, last eight of, of Grand Slams, players like Yannick, Sinner, uh, Davidovich Fakina, players like that, probably who, who do have quite high potential. And, and it'll be sort of interesting to see how they kick on next season, I think Sinner is certainly one who's, who's got massive potential and it wouldn't surprise me at all if he broke the top 10 next year. Um, on the subject of, of, of Djokovic, I, I think Drew mentioned earlier, right? um, with that, that loss in Vienna and pulling out of Paris, I think, I think he couldn't get any more points in Paris for this year because of the way that they've done the rankings due to COVID over the 18-month period. So he he, I I've done some research and he's described pulling out of Paris as a strategic move because he couldn't add to his points tally, whereas he could in in London next week. So it will be interesting to see his motivation. I think in 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 London in the coming week.
0: One of the one of the interesting things I'd like to know is it's, we obviously find, and this is kind of away from from tennis against, but we're in a difficult situation where a lot of us have have been locked down for prolonged periods of time. And I know you two guys, you're on this this podcast because you take your betting incredibly seriously. You spend a lot of time and put a lot of energy into it. Is it something that you've managed to find even more time? Or is it something where it's, you're actively trying to step away from it at points? How's the... How's the balance been in terms of analyzing numbers more, or looking at more angles, looking at more sports, or whatever it might be? Um, And, and Drew, I'll hand to you first again.
2: Oh man, the fall has been—I've run myself down. I can tell for sure. uh, Trying to cover up, you know, trying to cover so many things at the same time. Um, For sure, uh, when the NBA playoffs were going on, (laughs) when the uh, the U.S. Open was going on concurrently, uh, as well as the NFL season. Um, you know, I, it was it was extremely difficult to do it all, uh, and I for sure can tell that some things slipped, some things uh, you know fell between the cracks. Overall, it it was you know I had a fine, successful fall, so I'm you know I'm happy. Uh, but uh, the you know, the real, <laughs> the real world, uh, kind of pace and responsibilities and things, um, you know, that, you know, in America, at least, uh, there's no traffic really in Los Angeles anymore. So there's a lot more time in my day that I can, you know, dedicate to, uh, you know, dedicate to my handicapping, which is nice. Uh, in, in general, there's sort of, a. Uh, Uh, there was a lot of distraction with the election going on. So the workload uh, in my day job wasn't as serious. So that was nice. Um, But it's been a surreal fall, really and truly. And uh, I would say uh, I learned some valuable lessons about, you know, when the time crunch came, I realized, okay, I need to automate some things. There are some portions of what I'm doing that I can't have my hands in, you know, in the gears as much as I would feel comfortable. Uh, So it's time to start automating more. Uh, and that's helped me, I think, build out some tools that I can use in the long run that uh, are less um, time intensive and, and help uh, improve my efficiency. That's probably been the main, the you know, kind of learn the hard way. Uh, you need to make this more, <clears throat> more uh, less hands on and more efficient. And uh, I think that'll serve me well going forward.
0: And how about you, Dan? I know you're. I mean, you're working kind of across different sports and whatnot, and spending a hell of a lot of time in tennis. You're you're putting out some great content as well. What's the the last six months been for you in terms of time management? Is it is it taking up too much time? Have you found more time to to go deeper into the tennis analysis?
1: Actually, um, I would say it's quite kind of an interesting one because obviously Julie's based in America and I'm based in England. So from a sort of a time zone perspective i've preferred this last few months to a normal season because well i don't know if that's the same for you Drew in a different time zone but like obviously uh, we haven't had any asian events in sort of september october that we would normally have and and i hate that time of year because it's horrible for me for time zones like the matches start at like 3 4 o'clock in the morning i've got to do a lot of prep in the evening the night before and stuff which i i try not to do if i can avoid it so um yeah, I mean, from from my perspective, it's kind of done me a favour in terms of my time management, um, and the fact that there's not been quite so many women's tournaments in the last few weeks as well. The tour finished pretty much after the um, the uh, French Open, and I know that I know they've got um, a tournament in Linz this week, but on the whole, there's there's less tournaments as well. So, from a time management perspective, I think the last few months have been absolutely fine. And to be honest with you, I also yeah, just I think we all speak when we say we're we're just happy that they've got professional tennis back on full stop. You know.
2: Yeah, yeah. I took it for granted before. Absolutely.
0: All right. Well, let's uh the the podcast today is obviously about the ATP Finals, and let's talk a little bit about that specifically and. I guess when betters are thinking about the the ATP Finals, there's there's a lot that makes it quite unique and, and different to the normal normal tennis events that we see in the calendar. Um, I'm sure a lot everyone listening to this will know that it's obviously based on the ATP rankings. Normally, just the the best players over the course of the year. The odd withdrawal this year. We've got Federer who can't compete. He's, it's Schwartzman that's that's coming for him. Um, but it's also unique in the the format with the the eight players going into their groups, the round robin, and then on to the semifinals and stuff like that. Is there when you guys are looking at betting this event, is there anything that that makes you look at things differently? Is there some things maybe you you take into consideration more than perhaps you would for say like a grand slam or a five hundred, a thousand event in in terms of the analysis, um, both maybe on a on an outright level and in terms of the the individual matchups.
2: I, I, I think you have to treat this as a standalone in its entirety. There's very, very little, um, that you can take in my opinion, at least there's very little you can take from, uh, you know, what you would usually use in a, uh, in a grand slam for instance, uh, and translate it into this particular event because of number one, the round Robin format is very unique. Uh, and number two, it, the motivations, the fatigue, a lot of things are different in general in past years uh, that opened open the door for some of the lower-ranked players to win titles. I mean, our last, uh, three, uh, our last three events we had, uh, you know, players that were down the board in terms of outright market uh, come away with titles. Last year, Sispas, two years ago, Zverev, and three years ago, Dimitrov. Um, those were upsets. Plain and simple. And when you come into an be- event like the Australian Open on the men's side, for instance, it's a it's so top heavy, and it's a very very narrow um, you know very narrow field in terms of who can realistically win the title. Uh, and it starts with Djokovic, obviously. Um, but you know, I kind of look at this event, the ATP Tour Finals, much more you know much more uh, give much more uh, uh, of a chance to every single player than I would for a given. Um, than I would for a given slam, for instance, and and a lot of that is because of the the round robin format. The draw is is obviously quite a lot different, and uh, the results I think over the past years reflect that. There's definitely some uncertainty here in terms of who can come out on top, and um, and the fact that it's an indoor hardcore tournament it levels the playing field across uh, the different special you know different specialists, uh, and it's a uh, it's a very fun. Handicap because you get to see a lot of matches that are extremely high quality with uh, top players on tour going head to head. You know it, it's a it's a absolute you know joy as a tennis fan to watch this event to bet on this event. Uh, and I think uh, as you look at the outright market, it's worthwhile uh, looking down the board past the favorites in general. And uh, I think there are a couple that stick out this year, but we'll uh, we'll we'll keep the listeners in suspense.
0: Tease it out, Drew. I like it. Uh, what about you, Den? In terms of your approach to the ATP Finals specifically, compared to, to other events?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things comparing to Grand Slams. I think, I think Drew's made some some really good points that I, I completely agree with as well. But the fact that this is best of three sets as opposed to best of five that does change a little bit as well. And, and and the fact that, as Drew said, it's indoors and on fairly quick conditions as well for indoor indoor hard courts compared to the average uh, surface mean on, on the ATP Tour would suggest that, you know, we're going to get more tie breaks than average, tight sets, one-break sets and stuff. It's going to be a lot down to players taking their chances. And that, and that uh, uh, as, as Drew alluded to, is a bit of a recipe for upsets, and 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 also the fact that no, no, Federer, Nadal's largely unproven indoors at the moment, really, and Djokovic, whatever you know, in terms of like, yeah, he's going to be favourite, but is he dominant right now? I'm not quite so sure. Um uh, The level, the field, the field is pretty pretty competitive, and I think that the. With six players under tens on at the pinnacle at the moment, we've kind of got this situation where it's not quite as top heavy as it might sometimes be. I think that usually in the tour finals, there's a few players who are, you know, around the Schwartzman price right now, if that makes sense. And
0: then when it comes to the elite matchups, and you mentioned there, Dan, about some, some tiebreakers and stuff like that. I know kind of baseline for you is serve serve return points percentage and and things like that do you begin to or do you already profile players in terms of some some may may struggle in that that upper bracket of players in in the rankings or when it gets to that level of a tournament and some may struggle in tiebreakers for example are those things that can be looked at in terms of generally but then also applied to the ATP event
1: well, I mean, on on the whole, I attribute tiebreak success and failure to several factors. One is the player's just general ability. So so better players are going to win tiebreaks more than worse players, but obviously not as much as their win percentage for pre-match will be in terms of before the best of three or best of five sets, if that makes sense. Um, and also, it's very variance heavy. So, so someone like Daniel has had quite a bad twelve-month tiebreak record. Is that likely to be sustainable? Probably not. It's there's a lot of variance in the short term that goes into tiebreaks. So it's it's quite difficult to profile that and say with any confidence that a player will be able to sustain a good or bad tiebreak record. Um, so, you know, it's quite similar to the fact you know, compare it's like a football match, for example. If 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 Manchester City played a division, you know, League Two team in the FA Cup, there would probably be like overwhelming, you know, one point oh five or whatever to to beat them before the ninety minutes started. But in 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 a penalty shootout, there might be like 70-30 to it. So it's kind of similar in that respect. I think.
0: And what about yourself, Drew? Is there any? particular metrics that you think jump out i mean whether it's generally or, or this event specifically what are you looking at to to kind of try and handicap it
2: well, I, I mean dan's point is spot on and best of three does bring out more of a, a, a random nature to the result itself um similarly playing day you know day after day as opposed to uh you know getting a day of rest uh that you have when you are in the late stages of a grand slam for instance um, that matters is, you know, that tends, in my opinion, at least that opens the door for some of the younger players who, um, you know, who can build throughout, a you know, a tournament as opposed to players that need to uh, kind of strategically, <laughs> the older players, I guess, who, you know, the Nadals and the of the world who need to strategically um, met out their effort level, uh, for lack of a better way to phrase that, Um so you know, I, I do think the younger players absolutely have come in with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. Hey, I can prove something in this sort of tournament. I'm going to beat the big guns. Like like, let's look at a player like uh, Andre Rublev. He has never faced Djokovic. We've never even seen them head to head. I know that uh, that I don't necessarily think that his style of tennis favors. Uh, favors him in that matchup at all uh, just because of Djokovic's defense is so spectacular. And Andre Rublev is a very aggressive player who can, you know, make shots from both wings, but, uh, but it's going to be fascinating to see how they match up. Finally, we'll finally, you know, getting a chance to see them play each other will be excellent. And then, um, you know, players, players like uh, uh, Sissipas last year, who, uh, you know, he built throughout the season. He got better as the season went on, as he's getting older, as he's learning, uh, the strengths and weaknesses of his opponents and he capped it all off with a spectacular run last year and granted you know he he, uh, he got to face team in the final as opposed to uh you know one of the big three and that I think definitely uh you know definitely would have been a different uh, different animal if he's in the finals against uh you know a, you know one of the the top players uh, but still it was exciting to see him sort of cap off a very very successful, uh, you know, 2019 season with the title last year. And, um, you know, it's, it's, there's definitely a mindset for the younger players coming into this that I think number one, the, the format favors them to a degree. And number two, um, you know, they have a motivational edge in terms of, you know, trying to prove something. So it's, it's, uh, it, all that really opens the door I think up for, um, good opportunities in match by match betting, uh, either, Uh, you know, betting on the handicap or the over when you have a matchup like Rublev-Djokovic or, uh, you know, Sissipas-Nadal. And and then similarly, uh, just in the outright markets, the fact that they're priced in the uh, 8 to 9 to 10 to 1 range uh, makes for value as well.
0: All right, well let's uh you mentioned the outright markets there. Let's get on to them. I'm sure a lot of the listeners have have come for that specifically. Um, normally with the slam there's there's so many people obviously taking part. We tend to focus on a couple of players and then you you two guys have given shout-outs before, but I think in this instance we've only got eight players to look at. I suggest we just run through the list and talk through each of the each of the players and their chances at the event if that sounds good to you. Cool. So we'll we'll go down in order. We've got Novak Djokovic first up, 3.0 Pretty decent season for for him, all things considered. I think he won the Australian Open, won in Cincinnati as well. Then had that disqualification at the the US. Um, he did win the Italian Open, got to the final of the French. You mentioned earlier, Drew, he had that that defeat to Sunogu, Sunegu, um which. I mean it's gone down as a record breaking defeat for him in terms of how <laughs> how, uh, yes. how little he put into it but uh, yeah it's one I think that that comes with a pinch of salt um but I'm I'm interested here to to think about or, or hear your thoughts but generally speaking is it 3.02 short for him here or do you think he's worth it
2: I I personally think it's um it's a little short not not it's it, it's a it's a very very fair price I was hoping uh, to see you know something in the say two and a half ish range which would have presented give us given us more value down the board um, I think 3.0 is uh, you know That was a very carefully well-thought-out number. And as Dan mentioned not too long ago, Djokovic, obviously, his motivation was low in Vienna. I'm not even really sure why he went. I guess he maybe decided after he agreed to go that he wasn't going to uh, really make a realistic run there or he just wanted one win to get him enough points, I guess. But whatever the case was, that was a, a very, very... Lacklust, you know, the, the worst defeat of his career in that event. And then pulling out of Paris was obviously very, you know, strategic, as Dan mentioned. Um, and I do think you get a higher motivational uh, effort out of Djokovic in this spot. Uh, Djokovic is not one of my top um, indoor hardcore players, even though he is clearly the best player on tour right now. And it's by a pretty substantial margin. Um, he does have a, a decent advantage over the other fellows at the, at the top of the board here. Uh, you know, Rafa Nadal, he's beaten him uh, four out of the six times they've played on indoor hard court. He obviously has a head-to-head record over Nadal uh, in their careers. And, not you know, Djokovic was not competitive really at all in that uh, Roland Garros final against Nadal. Uh, conditions really did not favor him uh, in that particular spot. And Nadal, you know, built himself into, you know, he, 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 he got himself into form just in time to... Uh, put on just a spectacular uh, showing in that final. And, you know, I, I guess I would tilt uh, the advantage in Djokovic's favor uh, across every single competitor in this field. So, I, you know, he's rightfully the favorite. Um, and I don't think there's value taking a no price at 1.4. Uh, I would say I make fair price for Djokovic in this one 3.2. So it's, it's a, it's a very fair price. And yeah. And you know, he's, it's, we don't, we don't know exactly who's he's going to draw in the round robin. Um, I would say there are certain players like Schwartzman um, and Rublev who have virtually very, very, very low likelihood of beating him head to head uh, in the round robin. Um, And then, uh, and then there are other players like Zverev who beat Djokovic in the final two years ago at this event. Uh, players like Sissipas, um, you know, who has he played Djokovic? You know, he played him hard, uh, lost in indoor hard court in their only head to head. But uh, you know, it's it's he is the rifle favorite in this tournament, and his price is relatively fair. Uh, I realistically only think you're going to get value betting against him uh, it, when he goes up against team uh, and teams Verev and uh, sisypas likely in the in head to head.
0: So a fair price for Drew. What about yourself, Dan? What would you make of that price on Djokovic?
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty similar. I think that he would have been that sort of shorter, two point five ish, if he'd have done better in Vienna or just hadn't lost so badly. Um, the um, I, I just bought the, the odds from last year, and actually before the tournament started, he was. Just over even money, and that was in the same group as Federer as well. So, so that was you know, yeah, relatively tough draw as well with Federer and team in in, in his in the Borg group from last year. Um, so we're looking at about fifteen, seventeen percent uh, outright odds that have to be redistributed to to players. So it's it's kind of no surprise to see that that a lot of players are, are shorter this year than they would have been last year in terms of like single-digit pricing compared to last year, with like four players and priced over 15s. So, yeah, I think he's a justified favourite, but it's a lot more competitive than it was last year. Yeah, pre-flop, if you and like. Just on
0: a, a point that, that Drew raised about the draw, do either of you two, would you get involved now? Or is that something that's so crucial you'd be looking to wait for it? There's obviously a, a trade-off there in terms of it's it's a bit of a risk whether they do come up against guys that... You would expect them to comfortably beat head to head. So, how do you approach that one?
2: Oh, man, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna wait for the draw here, just because I don't really see that. that there's not a clear um, path advantage one way or another for the players that I particularly like in this draw. Um, you know, if I, if I, you know, I like a guy like, like Dominic. You know I guess I'll jump, jump into the uh, conclusion here a little bit, but I like a player like Team. A lot at eight to one. I think that's, that's a, a, a very favorable price for him. Um, and if he draws Nadal or Djokovic in his group, does that change my opinion? No. Um, it there's really, really, there's not, uh, enough of, uh, an advantage that can be gained by your draw at this event, uh, that it makes it makes sense one way or the other. Um, especially with this field, because you really only have two of the big three, uh, and because, there's, you know, there, there's, you know, Shortsman's not, um, that's not a gift. That's not an easy win by any stretch of the imagination. Schwartzman's a, a fun, feisty <laughs> player. Um, but it's, there, there's not, uh, there's no, there's not going to be any, uh, surprises in my opinion with the draw that would change my, uh, uh change my value more than a, a percent or two.
0: And Dan, do you think if we've got listeners listening to this lining up a bit and thinking, do they wait? Do they not wait? What, what advice would you give?
2: Well, I, always, I always like to wait for, for
0: the draw
1: fun enough but um, um, yeah uh, just because you, you, I want to know who who a player is against you um but it, are there going to be any surprises in the draw well I suppose so i mean like if, if you if a player is gonna have Djokovic in, in in their group that makes it tougher for them to to get out of the group than it does if they've got Nadal in, in, in as their sort of number one seed if you like the top the top seed in their in their group. So I think it probably does have some impact. Whether it has a great deal of impact, as, as Julie suggests, um, is questionable. Per, but personally, I'm always more of a fan to wait. But I don't think the market prices will change abundantly after the draw either. All
0: right, then. Well, let's get on to Daniel Medvedev, 5.0, 4-1. Um, did all right kind of after lockdown, I think. Semi-finals at the US. Pretty poor showing at the French, but we we know Clay isn't one of his preferred surfaces, shall we say. But then he, he won in, in the Paris Masters. What do you make of this price, Dan? He's, he's had a couple of good tournaments. He looked decent on hardcore. Do, do his numbers back up the fact that he should be the second favourite?
1: I like Medvedev a lot. Um, I've been consistent on that pretty much ever since he broke through the top to the top 100. Um, obviously, he, he won in Paris, which is you know, a good a good frank of the form if you like um but the thing the thing i also like about mevadev is the fact that his his win percentage since the tour resumed isn't that high but his underlying data is so therefore he's got that propensity to to mean revert upwards in terms of his win percentage his underlying data is really excellent um since the tour resumed he's running a, a over 110% combined service points and return points one percentage which is, is massive it's elite level he's only winning around two thirds of his matches so so the chance he should he should be running at like 80% win percentage with, with those those numbers so he's got the, he's probably better than his results suggest
0: Big one for Dan then what about yourself Drew do you, do you agree with those points or is there something there that maybe makes you reluctant to, to take Medvedev
2: I mean stepping back I agree with the points he's I got an interesting conversation last week with some of my tennis friends. Of you know, outside of the big three, who is the most likely uh, to be the next world number one? Um, and I think the answer is Medvedev. He's you know he's absolutely has um, you know spectacular enough game uh, and and very Djokovic like in my opinion. I, I see a lot of similarities between the two players in terms of how they can uh, how they can defend on on a court with this much pace. Um, but I'm I'm lower on him in this particular uh, event, not just because uh, he's coming off of, uh, you know, a a Masters win in Paris, which is huge. Um, But he was very disappointing last year at this particular event. Um, He was in a tough group. He was with Nadal, Sissipas, and Zverev. Uh, He had some bad tiebreak luck. Uh, He lost uh, three of the four tiebreaks he was in. Um, but realistically, I, I expected more of him in this event last year, uh, and, you know, having just won the Paris masters and, you know, to do, if, if he if he loses his first, uh, round Robin match, for instance, uh, I could see it being difficult for him to, uh, pick his effort level up and, uh, and realistically make a run from that point. Uh, he may just say, okay, well, I've done my, my duty for this year. I got my masters win. Uh, and I will now focus on, um, you know, focus on the preparation for the Australian Open. So I'm, I'm cooler on him than his current price at 5 to 1. Uh, I would, excuse me, yeah, 5.0. Uh, I would make this uh, fair price uh, 7.5, actually. Um, I'm lower on him uh, in terms of fair than Zverev and team. Uh, and almost lower on him than Sizaposs, so it's it's uh, this is a, this is a one that I will be uh, looking to um, go against him probably in some of these head-to-heads, especially if uh, uh, he were to say draw team in the first round robin and lose or something along those lines.
0: All right, then we'll we'll get onto Alexander Zverev and, and Rafael Nadal. They're they're both priced up at the seven point zero six to one. Zverev, I think you mentioned earlier, Drew, won this back in 2018. He's a guy for me. He's like, he's hung around in the top 10 for a while, there or thereabouts, still only 23. But I think the consensus is he kind of hasn't gone that step further to to fulfil his promise and just seems to struggle when he gets to that elite level of competition or the further rounds in the slams. Um, Nadal obviously has no issues with with either of those two things. Um, joint with Federer in terms of Grand Slam titles another win for him at the French struggled a bit in Paris and he's I think you said Dan he's got he's got poor record on on hard courts particularly indoors I'll open this one up to either of you does Zverev or, or Nadal potentially a value play here or is or is one of them a stay away
2: I think Nadal is absolutely a stay away Personally, uh, his indoor hard game is not the greatest as it is. He tends to uh, not really give us his best uh, this time of year. Uh, and I know he hasn't played nearly as much tennis to this point in the season as he would normally. And a lot of his, you know, a lot of fading Nadal throughout the fall months in years past, which has a, been a very profitable strategy, is kind of based on the fact that he. You know, he puts all of his chips in the pot to try to make a run at the U.S. Open. And after that, he sort of just goes into hibernation, for lack of a better word. Uh, and that hasn't, you know, that, you know that, that's probably not in play here. I don't think he necessarily packs it in. But his overall performance at the Tour Finals throughout the years has been disappointing. Uh, and I don't think uh, realistically he's going to, uh, you know, this, this field, It's in, in, in its entirety, this field is too tough, uh, in my opinion. Uh, with all of these young players and all of their, um, you know, everyone trying to take a, a, a skin off Nadal in this one uh, does not set up well for him, in my opinion. Uh, Zverev is an interesting player in a lot of ways because you have to, in my opinion, you have to uh, you have, to have a, a ranking for him in best of five tennis and then have a completely different approach to handicapping him in best of three. Uh, there's clearly something going on with him mentally when it comes to best of five. Uh, and comes to you know the the pressure that maybe he puts on himself to win a slam uh, that impacts how he plays in best of five. Um, similarly, uh, you know that so, some of his um, you know masters gl- glory throughout the years, and you know he just made it to the finals and uh, had a realistic shot to beat uh, Medvedev in the final. He just couldn't quite uh, keep it together for the duration of that match. You know, Medvedev just ground him down. Um, He's he's a good best of three player, and um, a lot of that comes from the fact that he's he's just a, he's incredibly fit. Uh, he's got you know he's got absolute elite shot making potential, uh, and he t- he's not afraid to take chances. And if his serve is firing, if his serve is uh, is going in at a, a at a reasonably high rate, um, then he's extremely difficult to beat. And his run here two years ago uh, is evidence of that. His uh, and his indoor uh, hard court game, uh, is elite. You know, his, he's absolutely should be in the discussion here, uh, in terms of the realistic contenders for this tournament. Um, I make his fair price 5.5. So 7.0, I have a reasonable edge on Zverev in this spot. And yeah, he's not, he's not a a player that uh, I'm running to the window to back in a slam ever, (laughs) but, uh, for this type of a tournament, um, you know where it's it's best of three. I think he absolutely needs to be considered.
0: What are your thoughts on that, Dan? Do you agree?
2: Yeah. Um.
1: Yes and no. Um. So okay. So first of all, Zverev. I I actually rate Medvedev marginally higher than him numbers wise. So I'm I'm quite happy with how the the outright market sees the two players in terms of the you know Medvedev's very slight supremacy. Um, but with withdrew completely on 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 Rafa, um, I just it's so difficult to see him making a massive impact in in London because uh, for so many reasons. Really, he's I think since since the tour finals was played in London, he's only reached the semi final three times. Yeah, granted, he hasn't played the the tournament every year, but but still, for a player of his his overall caliber, those are really poor returns uh, and. Um, he struggled in Paris, dropping sets to Feliciano Lopez, whose, whose numbers are really quite poor this year, and, and Pablo Carreño Busta, who again is, is no great shakes indoors whatsoever. Um, lost fairly comfortably to Zverev in, in the semifinals as well. So, so uh, I don't see Nadal as 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 a major. Contender for this tournament. Um, We're looking at like two-year indoor numbers. His his combined service and return points one percentage is sixth out of the eight players. Uh, uh, And although uh, since the tour resumed, his numbers on all surfaces is the best. But that of course takes into account those those tournaments on clay, and particularly the the French Open where where he was supremely dominant. What 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 I am I'm not sure about Nadal in quick conditions as well. So if we compare, say, his his clay record in madrid to his clay record in monte carlo they're very very different monte carlo is much slower than madrid and and his his he's very dominant in monte carlo but not not nearly so much in madrid and i think that in these quicker conditions in london he he might not find conditions to his liking
0: and so, so when people kind of say i mean obviously we know how important court surfaces are and and conditions that the the matches are played in and with i mean with the the indoor court and outdoor hardcore what Dan if you could maybe just kind of elaborate on that in terms of does it impact the difference in terms of ball speed ball bounce that much or is it more just the the conditions in the actual facility
1: um so uh, it's a diff- difficult one because there's a lot of factors that can influence it so we've got climate uh, indoors uh, uh, whether it's indoors or outdoors the altitude uh, the balls that are used the, the court manufacturers loads of different factors influence court speed to be honest with you i don't really look at the reasons as to why a, a venue is quick or slow apart from Obvious stuff like if a, if a tournament's at altitude, a, a couple of tournaments in, in previous years have been in like you know Bogotá and Quito in South America, which are played at, at huge altitude, and, and there's certain players you can profile who do well in those conditions. But but on, on the whole, um I look at the effects of it rather than the reasons for it. If that makes sense.
0: Well, let's get on to, to Dominic team. Pretty decent season for him, got to the final in the Australian Open, won the US Open, quarters at the French, semis in Vienna, getting a bit of rest maybe in Paris. I think it was Blisters, he was he was out with that. Um he's had his chances but hasn't actually won in London before. And Drew, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that you like team. Um <laughs> why do you like him and, and kind of maybe tell us a little bit more why you think he's he's worth value at eight point zero.
2: Well, I like him in general as a, you know, he's a good player to back and the price is really almost everything in this particular spot. Um, Team uh, is a, is in my opinion, at least I have him fairly highly rated as an indoor hardcore player. Um, I guess just relative to the market. Um, And you know, this is, he, you, you, you brought it up. He, uh, he won the U S open, secured his first ever slam title. It wasn't pretty. (laughs) It was aided by uh, a favorable disqualification of Djokovic. That's absolutely true. Um, And they punished him weirdly with the draw in Roland Garros. That was like one of the more uh, lopsided uh, draws that I've seen in a long time. His quarter was just chock full of everyone with the pulse. Um, And so, yeah, Diego Schwartzman popped him in the uh, quarterfinal there. Um, And, you know, he obviously had played a lot of tennis this fall, Uh, the blisters issue. Uh, plagued him at the U.S. Open in his run there as well. Uh, he ended up obviously winning, at, you know, winning in spite of that. Um, but Dominic team is uh, is a very very fun player to back because number one, he uh, takes a little bit of the conditions um, out of play, uh, in my opinion. He has uh, he can generate a ton of pace uh, on his own. He can um, you know he can absolutely. You know, use his aggressiveness to his advantage against a lot of these other players. Uh, his head-to-head record against some of these guys uh, is strong. Uh, he, um, let me let me pull up my numbers right now. Um, overall, uh, head-to-head indoor hard court against this field, he is six and three. Uh, Year to date, he is two and one. Uh, he already has a win over Djokovic uh, on indoor hard. He has two wins over Rafa Nadal. Uh, on indoor hard and uh, it's uh, yeah he's got the best of uh, Zverev 2-0 he's got the best of Medvedev 1-0 um, realistically uh, Sissipas is the only guy who has truly outperformed him in their head-to-head on indoor hard um, so Dominic team, uh, I think stands out pretty clearly in my opinion as um, a guy that should be considered at the top of this board and the fact that he's your fifth favorite right now at 8.0 uh, is pretty crazy to me um, he's going to need an especially poor draw uh, and, uh, you know, and or be, be impacted substantially by uh, the, uh, the blister injury, not to be in the conversation, get out of the round robin uh, and, uh, you know, make you know, it sh- should be considered realistically a uh, uh, one of the favorites for this title. Um, lost to, Steph- uh, to Stefano Sissipas in the finals last year. Uh, it was a hard fought match. Uh, I thought the you know the it end, ended up coming down to um, a third set tiebreaker. He lost seven four, uh, and realistically, I would expect him to take the next step forward and win the tour finals this year. So 8.0 is probably my favorite look across the futures market. I make fair price here five point five, so I have a decent edge here on team to uh, to win outright.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly plenty to to like about him from what we've seen this season and and kind of zooming out a little bit more but as drew says dan it's it is all about price so is is he worth it at 8.0 do you think
1: well i would say that it's so interesting i mean obviously having listened to to drew throughout this podcast so far i was kind of getting the impression as well that, that he was quite keen on team i i must admit that this is probably where our major difference of opinion is because I, i'm not Overly worried about the the blister issue from Vienna that made him pull out Paris. I think that, that you know, a couple of weeks rest that shouldn't be a major major drama really. Um, but numbers wise indoors he's he's not great. He also has relatively mediocre data since the tour resumed on all surfaces. Although obviously he he did have that slam win. Um, what I want to do probably in the time between now and 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 when the draw is is done is to to dial into his his appearances indoors particularly a little more, did did he have, for example, a, a has he faced a much higher caliber of opponent than than a lot of the other players in, in this tournament? And and that's something that I wanna look at. I didn't know about the um, sort of grouped head to head that Drew Drew mentioned, which is super interesting and and something that I'm gonna have a look at a little bit in more detail as well. So, yeah, I can understand from that group head-to-head stuff that I hadn't really considered. That's, that's, that's a nice That's nice. stats for the team. But overall indoors, I'm, I'm not hugely enthused. I don't massively like him in quick conditions either. Uh, uh, and, I mean, this year is a bit different to other years, but his efforts in, in the, a lot of years of his career so far have sort of tailed off post-US Open. Um, but that was probably due to overplaying in previous years, all, all those previous years. Whereas, obviously, this year he hasn't been able to overplay due to circumstances beyond his control. So maybe that's got maybe that's different this year. I don't know. But a few variables, I think, with team that, that I, I I I'm not certainly not as bullish on him as as, as Drew is, but um, something that I'm going to have a bit of a closer look at between now and at now and the tournament.
2: Yeah, I think uh, one other key thing I think of is um, if you're if you're gonna reframe it and just say who can beat Djokovic, and that's really mm-hmm. kind of how you have to approach this tour. Okay. <laughs> I I love team against Djokovic. I, it's just for whatever reason he always brings his best in that head to head. He's he's only he's four and seven against him in his career. So obviously not ideal, <laughs> but uh, you know, of, if you're going to, if you're going to give me someone with a fighting chance, um, I like team just because uh, I, I, you know, Djokovic is the kind of guy that can return. He returns everything. He's, he's just so good uh, defensively that a lot of players get frustrated. Uh, they stop taking chances um, and you know, Djokovic can just wear them down in that regard. And team is more like he's like the Energizer Bunny. He just continues to come at you, come at you, come at you. He stays aggressive even when they're all coming back. Um, and I think that's the right mentality you need to get by Djokovic. Um, and you know, a, a guy like a, a player like Medvedev, uh, a player like uh, Sissipas, um, even Zverev, even though Zverev beat him last year, had you know, or beat him two years ago in the final. Um, and his two, two and three lifetime against Djokovic. Uh, I, I still see those players. Um, you know, they're, they're the they're among the young guns. They just they lose their cool. Uh, they lose their focus, uh, and it costs them. You know, costs them matches against Djokovic. Whereas team, uh, I feel like, especially because he's you know, teams beaten Djokovic in. Um, in Grand Slam events too, he's beaten a best of five in in Paris. I think what twice, uh, two years in a row, he beat him. Uh, so it's it's, it's a uh, uh, it, that's kind of one of the reasons I think I'm probably higher on team, even beyond even beyond just the the group. Um, you know, the group he has the highest uh, you know win percentage in group. Uh, even beyond that, though, is, is I, I just of the players who Djokovic could lose to, I, I put team at the top.
0: All right, then we'll let's we'll move on to Andre Rublev. Um, he's a nine point zero next on our list. Had a a pretty decent start to the season at some of the the lower ranking events. Didn't really didn't really do it at the slams. I don't think he got further than the the quarters. I think he actually got to the quarters in three or or two of the three. Um, also picked up a couple more titles after the French and St Petersburg and Vienna. It's his debut here. This is one, Dan, this is props to you. I think last year we were talking when this guy wasn't really making too many tracks or was just starting to kind of project himself into the, the elite level of, of tennis. You you were quite big on him. I know you called him out quite a few times at, at massive prices for events, showing that he, he had a lot of potential. Is he a serious contender here or, or do you think he's still got a little way to go before he can challenge?
1: I mean, from from my perspective I really like Rublev. Uh Drew's mentioned this the matchup issues is potentially with Djokovic, with which is something I wanna have a, a another look at as well. But stats wise his his numbers are very strong. Perhaps against slightly a lower caliber of opposition on average than a lot of other players though. So you got to take with that that caveat. I think. Um, but he's won indoor events in Vienna, Saint Petersburg since the tour resumed. Also on clay, I think in Hamburg as well. Five titles this year, um, showing a really high level since since the tour resumed. And obviously, he's a young player with with huge upside. And um, indoors, I think that his num- his numbers are very very good as well. And uh, he's he's the one I'm looking to see the draw for. So I think that's that's he he's. The player I'm looking to see the draw
2: for the most. I strongly agree with that. The the draw is going to matter a ton for him. Um, we don't he's he's kind of the most the biggest unknown, at least in terms of how he matches up against these top guys, just because this is the first time he's qualified for this event. And so we're going to get a concentrated you know opportunity to see how his game had how his st- playing style matches up against some of these other top guys. Um, he's only he's four and thirteen lifetime against this field which is not ideal he's one in three on indoor hardcourt against this field um but a lot of that was when he was a younger player um his year to date on indoor hardcourt 13 and 2 he is absolutely lighting it up on this particular surface in these conditions uh this year um and you know he's going to be a force going forward because he's uh he he's he's an elite shot maker he can hit it off both wings in just spectacular fashion and um you know, it's it's it. If he gets put in the same, um, if he gets put in the same uh, draw as Djokovic and Medvedev, then I have very little hope that he gets out of that because he because those are the that's the style of player and that's the that's the type of uh, of game that can neutralize his strength so perfectly that he's just he just doesn't have a, a great shot. But if he gets put in the same draw as Nadal and team. Uh, and say you know if it's if it's Nadal team, Sitsipas, Rublev, uh, then all of a sudden he's uh, he's very live uh, to, to to get out of the group, in my opinion. Um, so I 100% agree with Dan that you know up and coming player, tons of respect for him, um, but he needs the right draw in order to have a chance here.
0: All right, then well, Stefano Sitsipas. Now We're, we've got two more to go. Uh, Sitsipas is 14.0 the reigning champ 14.0 13 to 1 just to to defend his crown is is quite strange but obviously it's it's one of those events isn't it where as you said at the opener Drew the underdogs can can come through and do the business um he's had a couple of highlights this season I guess but it it has been pretty up and down caused the shock last year what do you think Drew can he can he do it again is is the price a tempter
2: it is a tempter uh he's he's yes i i would say it's tempting just because the price is so high. 14 to one is, um, that's asking for some, some consideration, even if it's just a small flyer, uh, Sissipas four and four against this field on indoor hardcourt, uh, 15 and 22 lifetime against this field. It's, he doesn't have a great chance just his form, especially as we've come down the stretch this season, hasn't been outstanding or impressive really at all. I expected more from him, uh, especially, um, you know when he, it looked like he uh, was going to shine to a degree uh, at uh, um, at Roland Garros, and I think he picked up some kind of meaningful injury in that uh, semifinal matchup against Djokovic, um, because he just hasn't been the same player since, in my opinion, at least the eye test. Um, so at the end of the day, I'm probably not going to get involved. Sissi, I don't think uh, has a realistic shot to win enough matches here to take the title again. Um, but certainly if he, if his, if this outright price reflects what you're going to get in match by match betting, then there's going to be value betting on Sistapaz in the round robin stage.
0: Yes, yeah, so as Drew said there, Danny's he's, he's an underdog. He's he's got a chance. He's done it before. He's he's struggling a little bit for form at the moment. What do you make of Sitsabas's chances here? Is it the same? It's 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 a good enough price that that tempts you, or or are you writing him off?
1: Um, I'm not writing him off. Um, he's a you know, defending champion from last year, so so I think it's very really unfair to write anyone off with, with that sort of pedigree. The thing with Sitsabas is something that you know I've been consistent at with a lot of the um, my thoughts in the pinnacle previews in in last year or two is that his return data is below average compared to elite level top 10 players and, and that that's slightly problematic in terms of um, the tight matches t- uh leaves him open to upsets in say like a normal tournament like you we know, are as opposed to be the round robin that's here um, we saw last year, for example, in the final, he had two tie breaks in that final against Team One won the decider. So, so his his matches are going to be a little bit more variance heavy, I think, than than some of the other players in the field. But by the same token, is, if there's a one player who sort of overperforms those underlying numbers, I don't think it's a thing that much in terms of the you know, general pop- population on the ATB Tour. But with him, yeah, there, he's probably one player who who I think can compete, yes.
0: Right, then finally we've got uh, Diego that obviously the biggest outside of the pack, just crept in with with Federer's injuries, 36.0, 35 to 1. Um had a decent enough season, I guess, but, but one you could maybe label similar in terms of struggling a little bit when it comes to the elite and stuff like that. Um, Drew, I'll go to you first on this one to wrap up. What do you make of Schwartzman's chances?
2: Yeah, he's too, the quality of player between him and the rest of this field is noticeably lower, uh, especially if you take into account the court speed, uh, which does not favor him. And he had he's 0-5 lifetime against Djokovic, 1-10 lifetime against Nadal, 0-4 against Medvedev. Um, realistically, uh, he can only claim impressive uh, performances against team, notably the quarterfinals of the French Open this year. Um, but this is not uh, this is this is not you know this is a consolation prize for what was a very very uh, hard fought season for Diego, um, and you know he's. You know, guy you can look forward if, if they if they get the golden swing off next year in South America, he's going to be the best player down there. He's going to be, uh, you know, a guy that you want to watch and back in, in those events. And in this particular tournament, um, I can see him I can see the, uh, the the games totals being lined a little bit low because uh, he, he can you know, he's going to fight hard. He's going to, you know, drag. He'll win a couple of sets here and there. Uh, I just don't think he's going to win many matches. And I certainly don't think he's got a realistic shot to win the title.
0: So too much disparity, too much of a drop off in quality for Drew. Is is that the same for you, Dan?
1: Yeah, I I don't think Schwartz. I, I, I'm loath to say he's making up the numbers, but but I think the market has it right that he's the biggest underdog of the field. Um, outclassed by Medvedev last week in Paris, just took the four games off 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 Medvedev in that loss. Um, stats wise, is is poor compared to the field on on indoors and also since the tour resumed and I, I think if Schwartzman got out of the group I think he would should consider that a, a major achievement um, and I don't see that happening that much and I think yeah probably the one the player that the, all the other players in the field are going to be looking to get that that yeah at least a, a win off and then one of the other two hopefully to get them through to the group to the, out of
0: groups Well here's our, our eighth and final competitor a, a, a great run through the odds I, I think we'll call it a day there it's sad to see the last event of the year come around so quick but obviously it won't be long before we're back and focusing on the australian open hopefully a full calendar of action in in 2021 dan drew thanks so much for the time today great info as always and i'm sure our listeners will be grateful as well so so it's much appreciated thanks
1: Uh, thanks for having us
2: cheers best of luck
0: and thank you to everyone for listening the latest odds for the atp finals are live on pinnacle.com good luck with your bets and remember to always gamble responsibly